The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today our scripture reading comes from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ashley. Beloved, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. He is our cornerstone for sure. And when we think about our passage this morning, I want us to continue to think about it in light of uh, our, our particular sermon series that we've been going through throughout the summer. Um, and I'll be honest, I struggled with this uh, passage for the simple fact that over the last several months, we've only been taking just a few words and preaching 30-minute sermons. And so then when I looked at my passage, I said, this is probably going to take me about three hours. But everybody will be gone by, by that time, right? So I boiled it down. But here's what I want you all to understand. The main idea of what we've been going through is this we. Intimacy with God leads to intimacy with one another. The knowledge of God requires knowledge of self, leads to knowledge of self, which then leads to knowledge for one another. Meaning knowledge not simply because we know from a cognitive standpoint, but we know because we're close to one another. We're near, we're drawing near on a consistent basis, wanting to know each other deeper than simply on a surface level. That's the practical part of the particular series that we've been going through. And when we look at this passage, what I want us to draw our attention to and elevate out of this is that it gives us an identity. It gives us purpose, worth, and dignity. And that's important for us because when we think about coming together as a body of believers, making a spiritual house, a temple where God will reside, then we need to be a body of believers who are sure of who we are in Christ. Oftentimes, it's a struggle for us to understand who we are in Christ simply because we have so many different things that tell us who we are or try to define who we are. 
But this particular passage will define who downtown church is and who we are as individuals, but more so collectively, who we are as neighbors, as a community. And when we go out into our community, when we go to the nation, when we go to the world, when we're in the marketplace, when we're in the, the law office, when we're at the doctor's office, when we're, when we're at MLGW, wherever we are, we want to know who we are because so many different things trying to tell us who we are. Amen. And so, if you are visiting with us for the first time, I haven't said this in a while, so I gave y'all a break. But I, I do enjoy amens. Amen, somebody. Oh, my goodness. We, we're going to have fun this morning. Uh, we're going to have fun. But let us draw our attention uh, to prayer before we dive into God's Word. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are our cornerstone. One who has been a solid rock uh, that will not falter that will not change or crumble, but we can stand firmly trusting in you. And so we ask that your word continues to remind us of who we are in you as a body of believers. And I pray, Jesus, that you use me to speak to your people, to encourage them in a prophetic way. And as I do, Lord, I pray that I hide beneath your cross. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable into your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said. So we had um, a couple in here getting married yesterday. It was pretty hot. It was pretty warm. Um, It was definitely warm. But I think about when couples come together and they get married. It it requires a level of purging. It's a good idea to get rid of a few items because of all of the items that you've accumulated as individuals, you begin to bring those items together and you have a bunch of sometimes junk, right? So there was one couple, Stan and his bride-to-be, they figured that they would go ahead and purge a couple things out of their garage. And so they, get, they took some things to the Goodwill, everything from bicycles, tools, to clothes, computer uh, parts. And this one particular thing, which is a tattered copy of the Declarations of Inde- Declaration of Independence, which was hanging in Stan's garage for at least over a decade. Well, to Stan in particular, this was trash. But it turned out to another man, it became his actual treasure. In fact, when he sold it, uh, this Declaration of Independence, what he didn't know, it was the version of 1823. And so a gentleman walks up by the name of Michael Sparks, and he he picks out that particular uh, item, and he takes it, and he sells it to him for a whopping $2.48. Well, Michael Sparks, in his wise mind, he went on ahead and sold it for at least a half a million dollars. Now, I would have been hurt. In fact, I would, have, I would have asked for some money because I, yeah, I would have finagled that some way. However, Stan, in his humble way, he was quoted in saying, you know what, I, I'm happy for the guy. I'm happy for the Sparks guy because, you know, I probably would have kept that thing hanging in my garage for another decade or two. And so I'm glad that he got something out of it because to me it would have been worthless. The point that I want to make is what seems to be trash to one becomes another man's treasure applies to us from the simple fact that you have to ask yourself the question each and every day do I know my worth do I know my worth as an individual and do I know my worth in this particular community do I feel undervalued am I underappreciated do, do, do people actually see me? Do they, do they know me? And have I been hurt by another community? And so I'm here this morning because 
they made me feel worthless. So I'm looking for a place where I will have identity, I will have purpose, I will have dignity, I will have value. This is important because when you think about this, so many of us feel undervalued and experience pain, deceit, envy, slander, gossip. Many of us, like Terrence last week, we, we covet what other brothers and sisters have simply because we feel like we never had it. We also have individuals in our own community, in our own lives, who, who we, through them we've experienced arrogance, pride, selfishness, and been shamed and guilted in our own community of believers. I remember talking to someone one day and said, how can a Christian community be so hard? How can a Christian, how can a body of believers hurt each other? Well, when Christ is not our foundation, when He is not the cornerstone of who we are, we do hurt each other. But even though He is the cornerstone of who we are, we still hurt one another. But this is what's important. If it was the main thing of anything I want you to take this morning, this is it. And this is, our passage shows us that if Christ is our foundation, if Christ is the foundation of our community, He gives us purpose, He gives us identity, He gives us worth, and He gives us dignity. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. If Christ is the foundation of our community, He gives us purpose, He gives us identity, He gives us worth, and He gives us dignity. If I were to think about when I walk into this place each and every day of my life or I'm in Christian community and I think about the ways that I can be affected, I can try to find my identity in how many people tell me uh, maybe I, I look good or, or maybe my wife tell me that all the time. Y'all heard me tell y'all all the time. Amen. Amen, somebody. But or, or, or when I'm standing before you and I'm looking for the gratification of you did a good job or you said a good prayer or many of us come into this place knowing that we have broken lives and broken stories and we, we've experienced such deep pain that somewhere we're searching can I put an end to that search but if you put your trust in Jesus Christ if he becomes the foundation of your marriage if he becomes the foundation of you and you go off to college or all of my college students who are studying right now when you are in your high school locker room or when you are on the football field when he becomes your foundation I tr- trust you me No matter what the test score that comes back, no matter what the teacher says, no matter what your boss says, no matter how someone treats you in here, no matter if you feel ice cold, I'm telling you, you will have purpose. You will have identity. You will feel worth. And you will feel dignity. But here's two things that I want us to take from the main thing. And that's this. If Christ being our foundation, the foundation of our community, we must be built on Christ. Simple as that. I don't want anybody to overthink it. I don't want you to think too hard. Be built on Christ. Our community as downtown church has to be built on Christ. Our individual lives have to be built on Christ. Our marriages have to be built on Christ. What we're doing and and what we're going through. It has to be built on Christ. I look at my Team Challenge brothers who are here this morning. I appreciate y'all visiting us. I even think about what you go through the process. It has to be built on Christ. Him alone. And then the second point is this. Is that if we are to have, if Christ is to be the foundation of our community, we have to affirm the fact that He's called us. 
We have to be affirmed in the fact that he has called us. We'll see that in verses 7, seven through 10. But let's go to our first point, point where we're looking at verses 1 through 6. Again, I told you, I'm not going to spend too much time because there, there is a lot in this. Peter is a genius in the way in which he, he is lining up strings of Old Testament passages and thoughts and tying them into the dignity of who people are. Remember, we just went through the Ten Commandments. He's already pointing back to Exodus 19, who God made a people who were lost in, 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 in the wilderness. He made them an actual people. We'll get to that. But think about this. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Because when you look at the first verse, when you look at uh, the last verse of, of, uh, of chapter 1, he says, he says, adhere to the preached word. Allow this to govern you. And this can actually go on. Right? And he's talking about drinking of the spiritual milk. And putting off all malice, all deceit. Putting off these things, all evil. Well, it made me think about this particular illustration. When you, be, when you pack, there are things that you know over time, when you become a professional packer, where you're going on a trip, I don't hike, by the way, amen to, to the Lord, I'll hike in glory. Um, but, but when you think about that, I'm just going to get the water. When you think about that, I want you to think about when you're going to the beach, or even when you have that new infant, how many different things you pack over time? Right? I remember when we first had our, our son, and we went back home to St. Louis. We had our little old Honda Accord. And when I say, we packed like we had four apartments, and I only had one bag, and my son had 15 different items in that thing. We made it to St. Louis, <laughs> but I don't know how, to, how the tires didn't fall off our vehicle. What am I saying? It's when you think about the items that you put into packing over time, you know what to put in and you know what to take out. Over time, you know, I, 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 I may not even need all of these pair of shoes, the 15 pair of shoes, the, the 7 pair of shirts, and the 3 pair of short, shorts. I may just need my toothbrush, toothpaste, a, a thing of soap, and 2 pair of socks. And the reason being is because you know where you're going. If you then know where you're going, you understand what to pack. There are things in which when we look at our life, and when we look at what it means to be a Christian, when Peter is saying, put off, there are things that we have as baggage when we come into community, but we don't recognize it. We don't think about when we used to be abused by our family member. We don't think about when people used to talk about us and how it's have formed and shaped our identity and made us who we are and that's what we walk into. We don't think about how everything that we look at in terms of relationships, we put it in context of other relationships that affected us. We don't think about the fatherless homes that affected us and so now i got to prove myself to be a man and now i got to make sure that I let people know that by how much I drink or how much I smoke or how many girls that I sleep with that I am this man or we don't think about sisters who have been abused and have been mistreated and then next thing you know we only look at it in a me too movement but this has been going on for a very long time we don't think about the sisters who've been mistreated and abused and affected time and time again and been downplayed and see this is where we can get misconstrued we can think to ourselves well i haven't done it but we played a complicit part in it but what happens is that plays out in our relationships so here's the sanctification. Here's this, the spiritual milk that Peter is saying. I want you to read it. He says, so put off all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all slander. And then he says this, but this is in light of the last verse where you, where you read in chapter 1. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It 
it's in light of that. And so what is he saying? These vices that actually hold, hold you bound. I remember talking to Brent Stenberg. He always talks about, he works at the CPC. He, he does counseling with so many different individuals in the city. But he always talks about the amygdala, right? And how much stuff is stored up in the amygdala. He gives these examples of, one I always remember when he talks about his friend who was in the Vietnam War. And when he was in class with them in, in, his, uh, in, his, uh, in his college career, he, the thunder clapped very hard. And then they looked around and there his friend was under the desk and what happened was he asked his friend why did you get so frightened when you heard the huge thunderclap well unbeknownst to him this man had heard bombs crashing and and, and, and automatic rifles going off in his life during the war and so the moment that he hears any major boom it takes him back to a previous particular situation What, 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 what am I saying and what I think he's saying is when you become like a newborn when you are regenerated, when God makes you new, he's go- Peter is going off this idea that you are born again. And if then you are born again, be like a newborn infant who longs, craves, desires, pure, unadulterated, unadulterated milk, spiritual milk. What is this spiritual milk? It is the very thing that helps you grow in salvation. Do you ever think about how you have to constantly grow in your salvation? Grow in your knowing of God. Grow in your knowing of one another. Do you think about that? But it's the spiritual milk that you begin to drink that then allows you to put off the very things that triggers, hurts, and pains. So then when somebody treats me wrong, I don't put it directly to the fact that well, somebody, so-and-so did this to me. Now this person is doing the exact same thing. What happens is I begin to mature as a Christian and I think the best about them. And I say to myself, this is my brother or my sister. Let me clarify. Let me, let me go to them. There's wisdom in that. What, 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 what vices hold us down are the very things we don't want to put off. But spiritual development, spiritual maturity is key to making a powerful community. Spiritual maturity is key to making a powerful community. This is, this is important because you begin to adopt a new way. I think about how we interact these days. There's not much interpersonal skills. There's not much face-to-face. But the way that we begin to interact, it should also reflect the one that we know. Even when we send a text message, even when we send a DM message, don't slide in somebody's DMs now. Even when you're inboxing someone on Facebook, even when you are making, uh, making an address to individuals, you want to make sure that as you are addressing individuals, that you're addressing them in your community as brothers and sisters that are of this family. Because there are times when we don't think about this, but we address individuals out of our own hurts and pains. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because, oh, why, Peter, why is Peter saying this? Peter is saying this because he is saying that you can actually taste God's goodness when you begin to put off. This is what he says in verse 3. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Psalms 33, that you know then that if you taste that sweetness, if you taste that goodness, there is nothing that is sweeter, nothing that is better than that. And if you then know it, what's powerful about it is as a community, as downtown church family, 
We understand that we're not perfect, but we pursue intentional community with one another, loving and being God-fearing in our community in ways in which we want to build up our body, building up the body of believers, calling us to use our unique gifts and talents to encourage each other. This is fundamental as in terms of what it means to grow in Christ because we're talking about real transformation. We're talking about really changing over the course of our life. I'm not just talking, you know, we have so many people who think your lives, their lives are changed when they move to a new area, when they have a new career, or when, they, when their lives are changed, when, when they are transformed, when they have all of these different external experiences. But the most transformational thing that can happen in your life is when you meet Jesus Christ. And if that is in the truth, what happens in our hearts should also be happening in our community. And what am I, what am I really getting to is when, when he says, as a body of believers and individuals, in verse number four, what does he say? We need to come. As you come to him. Come. As you come to him. The very individual, Jesus Christ, who was rejected, the living stone, what is he saying? Come to this person. Why would we want to go to someone that was rejected? Why do we want to go to someone that was worthless? Why do we want to go to... See, we, we don't think about this when we think about being a community, of body, a body of believers, that the church is being attacked so much because they don't think that Jesus was the Messiah. They think that he was just a mere man. They don't understand the power of how he can transform lives. And so then why go to a man who's worthless, who's been rejected by society, who don't mean anything, who doesn't have anything written to his name, who doesn't have a lot of investments? Why go to this man? Because he's the very man that can change your life. Why do we go to him as a community? Why are we built upon him as a community? Because he's the very individual that can change and transform the power of our community. As living stones, we reflect the living stone. Because now, He is the one that many of us who feel worthless, He can actually sympathize with us. A high priest who can sympathize with a people who are downtrodden. With a people who understand what it means to be rejected, pushed aside, killed by the words of individuals. And which so far, he went, to the de- he went to the death of the cross for you. This is the individual who understands you. Who knows you by your name. Some of y'all should be shaking your head, mm, saying, hey man, something. Because it's true. It is so true. I think about so many individuals who experience so much hurt and mistreatment that's unjust, being pushed aside. I know Jesus understands because he was tempted. He understands because he was pushed aside. He understands because he was treated unjustly. And this is what is important. There is a, a scholar, uh, Karen Jobes. She says this in her uh, commentary. She says this. She's a New Testament professor at Wheaton College. When Peter describes those who come to Jesus also as living stones, he's implying, she, he's implying that their nature derives from the nature of the resurrected Christ. Therefore, the Christian's understanding of their, of their situation is to be shaped by that Christ uh, that uh, shaped all, but shaped by all that Christ has experienced. Most important, by Christ's victory over suffering and death. So 
So when you look at when it says in verse 5, when you look at when it says in verse 4, that you come as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are what? Like living stones. And what is he saying? Being built up. We're being built up to be a spiritual house. All this time, if we were to look at it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God is wanting to dwell with his people. Even in the sense that where we are living stones, and God has to chip away at some of these living stones. Why? Because we're not perfect. And so there's some times where in order for us to fit In order for us, for God, to make us living stones that are going to be a body of believers that glorify Him, there are some things that He's going to have to mold and shape us, press and condense. He's going to have to fit us into that spot that He wants us to be. And see, some of us don't want to be, be put in that spot because you feel like I'm put in a box. But what Jesus is saying is that you're not put in a box. You're fitting into the house that I will dwell. So everything that you have will be in this spiritual house. And everything that it's founded upon is built upon me. Why is that important, downtown church? Downtown church, that's important because that's the very thing we express in our vision of who we are. Downtown church exists to glorify God by creating a radical community. Radical new community. Why is that important? Because it molds the loving disciples. Mold. That's what we're saying. We're living stones that are being molded, shaped, pressed together, being being transitioned. Why are we fighting to be an intentional, diverse, multi-everything? You bring it. Multi-class, multi-generational, multi-ethnic church because we want to be pressed in. We want to be shaped. We want to be sanctified by the community that Jesus Christ dwells in. Amen somebody and so he molds the loving disciples of Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel we are committed to Christ centered lives where we show others grace and evangelize with authenticity through intentional relationships and faithfulness to showing justice with integrity and respect that's who you are downtown church That's what you are sinking to as the mission and the vision of this church. And now when we move on to our next point, I want you to understand this. Jesus is calling us. And as he's calling us, our next point says this. The foundation of our community has been affirmed by the call of Christ. It has been affirmed by the call of Christ. When I became, when I came into pastoral ministry, people think that I've been doing pastoral ministry all my life. I never wanted to be a pastor. That wasn't my goal. I just love telling people about Jesus. And when I told them about Jesus, I wanted to let them know that I was a young man that was transformed actually by this verse at a youth retreat. By this particular passage, the theme was being chosen and changed. I went to that thing not knowing that I was going to be changed, nor nor did I know that I was chosen. All I did was go because my mother said, can you go to this youth retreat? I wasn't in a household where people, where we were praying all the time, where we were reading the Bible, or we were trying to live a godly life. No, not at all. I was in a house that actually solicited that I had have sex at the age of 15 that I was able to watch pornography I was solicited to that but see when I went to the youth retreat God snatched me and when he snatched me I was changed 
And when I seen guys come from my own neighborhood, when I when I looked around and I seen these brothers loving on the Lord and they were crying before God and they I'm this football player that, that's trying to make something of my myself and make my name great. And I'm looking like Nelly because I got all of the wristbands and the headbands going on, right? Wearing Vercal jeans and Air Force One, all of that. Okay? But see, here's the thing. When God began to work in me, I began to put off all the things that, I, that was being shaped and molded in my life. And it fell off of me. And so when I went back home, after I was chosen and changed, amen, somebody. When I stood next to my, it was two days, and I stood next to my, my teammates and they said, Mike, we're going to go do the same thing. I said, no, nah, brother, I'm changed. Oh, no, no, stop, stop talking like that. No, you, you're not saying, no, nah, I don't do that no more. I don't do the old things because what happened is, is that God has called me effectually. He's called me mysteriously in a way that I don't understand, nor did I, did I want to go, nor did I, did I want to know Jesus. I wouldn't say that I did. I don't think any of us would be brave enough to say that we did. But what happened is, for each of us, just like Michael Davis, God pricked your heart, drew you into him, brought you in, clawed you close, sanctified you, put you in your right mind, set your feet on solid ground, and turned you around. That's what he did. This is the Jesus that we know and we want to be called by. And what does he call us by? His word. He calls us by his word. When you look at verses 7 through 10, again, I don't have time to do justice to the entire text because my mind has been working just off of these little verses. And so I got lost in all of this. But it's good because we're called by his, by his word. When you look at verse 7 and 8, he says, So the honor... So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. Listen to this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. That's verses 7 and 8. Which is actually showing right after Jesus, right after Paul, I mean, uh, uh, Peter has recited in verse 6 that behold, I am laying a stone, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But those that actually are disobeying his word and rejecting him will be put to shame by feeling his judgment, by feeling his wrath, by not being in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ because they rejected him and believed in something else. They didn't believe in him. Those that called themselves uh, 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 those that called themselves believers or called themselves Christ followers were actually the ones that executed him. And I want you to think about this. Because in fact it is an honorable way for us to understand what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. For what it means for us to walk in Jesus. Because sometimes we don't walk in Jesus because we don't know who we are. Nor do we know we're, what we're destined to. I think on the flip side of, Jesus, of Peter saying what they're destined to, we have to understand what we're destined for. And what we're destined to do. And as a church, we're destined to do far more than simply coming together in this place. We're destined to come together as a body of believers to proclaim to this community, to Memphis, to downtown, Midtown, East Memphis, and wherever else, the nation, 
the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. But see, you have to ask the question, why does he give the contrast of, but you are... In verse 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies excellencies of him who did what? Called you. Oh, are you hearing this, beloved? We are a beloved community not simply because of our good works. We're we're we're, We're a beloved community because of what Jesus has done. And how he's called us. And what he's called us to do. Mike, what are you saying? What does this mean? The contrast is this, brothers and sisters. You won't experience the shame. You won't experience the guilt. You won't experience the pain. You won't even stumble over Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. He will actually sustain you through life. How does this relate when I'm just a, a high schooler, this family worship day, so I always think about my middle schoolers. I think about my, my high schoolers. I think about my son. How does this help? Well, it helps you, young people, because as you grow up in your life, you will be able to listen to your parents and know that you are part of a covenant, covenant family, that you're not just a part of any old family. So when mom and daddy gives you instructions, when they tell you who you are, they're not just telling you what to do. They're not just telling you mere obedience. They're actually trying to show you who you are in Christ. Young people, so when you go to school and somebody else tries to solicit something to you, you can actually refuse it knowing that you know who you are. If you want to be corny, you can say, I'm chosen, I'm a chosen race, I'm royal, I'm a priesthood, I'm holy. But it ain't corny, it's true. I don't have no problem making sure that people know who you are. And not only this, he makes this means he makes us, he gives us a new identity. And we become a new humanity. And then we become priests to one another. Oftentimes you think, we think that the priesthood is only given to the pastor. We're encouraging you in order to be priests to one another. Serving each other with gratitude, with love and care. Looking to the needs of each other. Making sure that we're praying to each other. If we have babies or if someone dies, that we're the community that comes alongside of this family and be a priesthood by interceding on their behalf. We want to be a church that believes in the power of prayer, not simply up front, but but more so in our private lives, in community, fostering that, making sure that God goes before us and we follow him in all that we do. Amen. We're set apart. We're holy. We're set apart for the work of God. That's why He called us. And so, yes, you're chosen. Just when you thought you were worthless. Because someone said something harmful to you. Just when you're you're royal. Just when someone said that you wouldn't be enough or you wouldn't amount to anything. You're holy. Just when you didn't think you could be set apart. And be subjected to this world. But God wants to use you for his kingdom. And use you. Because you're his own possession. Do you believe that beloved? See I remember when I was in school. uh, They were always cracking jokes on each other. And so when you think about when it means to crack jokes. But I, I didn't have to just have hands when I was going to school. When I mean hands I mean fighting. I had to be able to use my words to attack other people because that's what other people were doing all the time and it still happens.
So in St. Louis, we called it Joni, meaning cracking jokes on each other. Right? And so I'm a dark-skinned brother. No doubt about it, and I hope you're not confused. And so everything was about my skin color, my pigmentation. So you're so black, this, this, this. And so I was just frustrated. And my teacher, who actually was a member of my family, and she would say, Mike, you just, Miss Daniel, she said, Mike, you just got to tell them. Black of the berry, sweet of the juice. I said, what? What does that mean? My mother said the same exact thing. And so somebody cracked a joke on me one day. And I said, you know what? Black of the berry, sweet of the juice. They were so confounded by that. They laughed. But see, I wish I would have known who I was. I, I wish I would have known that I was chosen. That I was royal. That I was actually special and holy before God. Because the words that actually came towards me, I would be able to say, not just in a joking way to try to tear down the next man, but to show him, this is who I am. Do you know who you are? Beloved, that's what we need to do with one another. As a, as a, as a community of believers, we have to understand, and Ben, y'all go ahead and come. We have to understand this. As a community of believers, what we say, what we do, the nonverbals and the verbals, they affect our people. They affect one another. And we have to be mindful of that. I even think about when people who are oppressed and all they hear or see on the news are things about themselves that tells them that they're worthless. We should be a community of believers that comes in this place and say otherwise. I think about people over the course of their lives who, because they have a rap sheet, they've only been put in a box. But we should be a community of believers that invite these, our brothers and sisters in this place to say to them, you're more than what you've been sentenced with. We should be a community of believers that say to ourselves that just because somebody says you have an addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to sex, or to whatever, we should be a community of believers that say you're more than just that addiction. We should be a community of believers, even for you who say, well, I have a nice upbringing, I have a Christian home. You should be, a, we should be a community of believers to say, don't find your value in the name of your family, on the wealth that you have. We should be a community of believers that find our dignity and our identity, our purpose and our worth in Christ and Him alone. That's what we sing because He is our solid rock. He is our good Father. He is our cornerstone. So what we say on Sunday mornings, when we come together intentionally, look to encourage each other, look to be children of God that always want to make the change by building one another up. When we see each other in the nursery, when we see each other serving hospitality, when we see each other serving and giving offerings, when we see the brother and sister standing in the next door and handing you a bulletin, say you are a beautiful person. You are a chosen person. You are, you are a royal person. Brother or and or sister, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. We need to say that to one another. The power of that builds us up and encourages us to come back to this place because we know this is family. Jesus does that. He did that. Because when we look at this table... He said, you're more than what individuals say you are. Because I own you. And what I planned since Genesis 3.15, not the devil, no one else can change that. And so what I did on the cross was I nailed your name to the cross. And every sin that you had. And when my blood poured out, 
it brought peace. When you were once far, as Paul said, it actually brought you near. When you were hostile enemies, as Paul said, it actually dropped your guards and allowed you to actually be warm, be welcomed in by his warming arms, his loving and caring arms. When you come to this table, I want you to come to this table knowing that what Jesus did for you is the same thing as living stones. We ought to do with one another as we dwell together as the King of our, uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords dwell amongst us. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much. Because, beloved, our beloved community is built upon you and you alone. Not our own doing or nothing that we will ever do. Will, will ever do. Help us to know that who we are is because of what you've done. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people said, Amen. We'll continue to worship God by giving the gifts of God. Amen.